0: Hello, folks, and welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Bird, here as always with my co host and A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I are here talking Everything balls every week on the Big R the If that sounds like something you want to listen to on the reg, go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed uh, on Apple and Spotify and subscribe. You won't miss an episode if you do, and you get a bunch of extra uh, other content that A to Z is pumping out. It's good stuff, and it's all there. A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed. I'm at Charlie underscore Burris. Zach is at Zach TNT on Twitter. At A to Z Sports. Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville. And A to Z Sports.com for everything that Zach writes. Well, Tennessee played Pittsburgh on Saturday. And came out with fire. Blocked a punt. Scored. After the block punt. And it was pretty much all downhill from there. (laughs) Pittsburgh essentially took over the game after that. And Tennessee had its opportunity at the end of the game. We're going to talk about that and Josh Heupel's play call decision. But Tennessee ultimately loses. They come up short in Josh Heupel's first big test. Let's talk about it, Zach. What is up?
1: I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about this game because uh, every day since Saturday, I kind of feel a little different about it. Uh, immediately after the game, I felt actually pretty positive, and then I moved on from that and felt like, no, you know, Tennessee should have beat Pittsburgh there, and, and you know, it could have went either way. It was a true toss-up game, and it came down to one score, but yeah, I went back and forth on how I really feel about the outcome of this game and what it means for Tennessee and the future of
0: the program. It's a really conflicting one. Because when you look at it, I think it it's easy to say a couple of things to me. If Hooker's play translates to the rest of the game, the way that he played in that second half, if he plays the whole game, I think Tennessee wins. That's encouraging on one hand, although we'll go into the details of that. And some of what Heipel said today during his press conference about it. And then also, I think if Tennessee cuts out the self-inflicted wounds, and and I would say not even all of them, but specifically the offensive line mistakes. If you just cut out the offensive line mistakes, you have zero offensive line penalties in that game, which is, game to game, that's that's tough. That's a really disciplined offensive line to just never have a penalty. But if you cut that out, Tennessee wins. I mean, the margin was that close. And then you also have the factor of the defense looked better than I think a lot of people thought they were going to, even though they gave up 41 points. I say with that, I know a lot of people are like, they gave up 41 points. Defense was terrible. That's the style that Josh Heifel plays. It's a ton of possessions. And so you're going to get a ton of points, especially with a bin, don't break uh, defense like is putting out there. Uh, and they had some really clutch stops at the end. And Tennessee had its opportunity. They had the opportunity there and they blew it. And uh, that's just really tough to walk away from and just have some sort of definitive. I definitely feel this way about, I don't, I don't know. Cause there were moments in this game where I went, this thing's headed in the right direction. There are moments in this game where I went, what are we doing here? I, I'm not, I'm yeah. I'm not sure either. I, th- I think the two
1: encouraging things for me, the most encouraging, uh, the defense, like you said, played a lot better than I expected. As you mentioned, a lot of possessions equals a lot of points. That final score doesn't really tell the whole story on how the defense played. That Pittsburgh just had so many opportunities. You're going to give up some points. I mean, you're not holding the ball for a whole quarter like a, a Georgia Tech or something used to do. And then the play calling. I thought the steam. I don't. I, for the first time in a long time, I didn't feel like Tennessee got outsteamed. They had receivers open. You know, I'm sure we're getting to a quarterback some more, but you know, Joe Milton wasn't. Necessarily putting the ball where it needed to be, he was overthrowing some receivers, some wide open receivers, and that's the point of this offense: is you are going to run a lot of verticals, you are going to try to get guys free down the field, and if you miss, you miss long, so it's not interception. That's one of the reasons Joe Milton's the guy. It's possibly one of the reasons Harrison Bailey's not, because the arm strength isn't the same, and Heupel's concerned about, or I assume Heupel's concerned about, underthrows turning into interceptions from Bailey. Just my assumption. No real inside information on that. But as far as the scheme and the play calling, I-, I think it worked. I think we saw that it worked.
0: I think you really saw clearly the power of the, I would say, the simplicity of what Josh Heupel is doing. It translated from one guy to the next. And I think you, you really just saw with Hooker. I think he's a similar runner. He might be, I, it's hard to say, just watching on TV. He might be a little bit quicker than Milton. I think he was quicker to make decisions, Mm -hmm. which is nice. Uh, Although it also led to an interception where he's a little more impulsive and tries to make a play, you know, it's a whole (laughs) consideration in itself, but I think you just saw hooker basically came in and his main advantage is that he puts a little touch on the ball and Joe Milton does not at all. At least not yet. Maybe he has the ability to with more work in this offense. but so far it, The dude has stone hands. He is just tossing it out of the stadium with no. It's almost hard to think like you do a ton of practicing, a ton of practicing, and you still don't have more control than we saw from this kid in that first half. They were like egregious overthrows (laughs) and genuinely like if there was pass interference on that play, it didn't matter because it was an uncatchable ball kind of overthrows. It's a problem that
1: plagued him at Michigan as well. I mean, we've heard Jim Harbaugh talk about it in the past. You go and look at old uh, media sessions that Jim Harbaugh did and talked about Milton. Him being able to throw a touch is the primary concern with Milton. That was his biggest thing at Michigan, so it's hard to imagine it's going to get better at Tennessee. I mean, Harbaugh is a quarterback guy. Heupel is a quarterback guy. What? How- if you can't figure it out, what, what's that say? Is it Milton? Is it the coaching? What is it there?
0: And and it's that element exactly why I say if you translate over Hooker's play to the entire game, I f- think it's probably win for Tennessee because there were just some, some moments where, as you're already saying, the scheme opened guys up. The defense... The, uh, specifically, the defensive backs for Pitt were not good, and they were not doing a good job covering Tennessee's receivers. People were open and just there for for the taking for the quarterback. And Milton was just airmailing it uh, and not getting it there. And then you had Hooker come in, and he's just a little better. He's just putting it in more in the airspace <laughs> of the receiver. Were they perfect throws? No, I, I don't think that he has amazing touch either but they were just better. Um, and you saw, I mean, specifically like that, that route up the middle to the tight end. That's great. He just, he got it in the vicinity of the tight end and it's a touchdown, you know? And, and that's, I look back at that first half and I say, some of those overthrows by Milton, dude, is wide open. And if that just connects... Just half of them, just connect on yeah. half of them, which
1: is really all I think Hypo wants. is just about half.
0: Exactly. And, and that's that's why I say I think this really was a testament to the effectiveness of his strategy. And I also think that we saw some amount of uh, adapting to the situation because I think Hypo saw that if he didn't slow it down a little bit, things were going to spiral out of control pretty quickly. He was also helped on a couple of occasions by ref reviews, um, I think, in terms of getting his defense some rest. But uh, I think you saw a little bit of adaptation there where it, it wasn't just absolute breakneck, let's get to the ball as quick as possible. But I think you did also see when the offense was cooking, that is still his goal. Because on on a couple of those scoring drives, it was just bang, 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 touchdown. Great. And I'm fine with that, but when things are going poorly, you got to throttle it back a little bit and say, well, let's, don't, you know. Don't yeah, just- the,
1: the only problem with that is Heupel's offense works because of the tempo, and it's not necessarily because yeah. he's tiring the defense out. He is trying to get to the line as quick as possible so the defense tips what they're doing. He doesn't want to give them any time to disguise their coverage. And then you got a quarterback that's having to read what he sees and make their decisions based off that. And then the receivers, you know, they've got to read that too and decide if they're going to run like a 12 yard stop route, curl route, or if they're going down the field. So they've, that's the point of, of the tempo really. So it's kind of concerning if he does slow it down, how will it work? Yeah. You know, especially against a good defense that has time to really confuse a quarterback that's just maybe looking for one key to make his play, and you know, a team like Alabama can really disguise that coverage, and all of a sudden, you're in a bad spot.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm not convinced on it yet. It was, it was in, encouraging in a general sense because the offense was very effective. You scored a bunch of points in that game. It was a shootout. Cool,
1: better than um, the Pruitt games.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh But I, I got to be convinced of its effectiveness against. I, Try some of these games over the weekend. I try to kind of see how I felt like I think Kentucky is going to be an interesting one where like they're going to play really slow and really methodical on offense and try to not give you as many possessions as Hypo probably wants. And they're going to do some things like that, sort of like Bowling Green did in game one. Just try to drag, drag it out. That's been Stoop style the whole time. And. And then Kentucky has a better defense than I think what Pitt put out there. Pitt's defense was not very good. And what do you do then? Where you're getting less possessions, the defense is better, but you still gotta score. And, and where do you go? So there's this didn't answer a ton of questions, but it gave better insight into what maybe to expect for the future, I would say. Uh but beyond <laughs> Beyond that, here here I think th- this can be the main thrust of this episode and this discussion. Is, is Hypo with this quarterback situation, I, I don't know. Th- this isn't an is question. What is he doing? That's what I'm trying to figure out. What is, what is he doing? I think we're hinting at it where it really is a plug-and-play system and it doesn't. Matter that much who the guy is because his system is good. But Milton has stone hands and then he plays Hooker, and Hooker does better. Clearly, it looked at times like he was going to drag Tennessee to a win in this game. And then he comes out today, Monday, and is talking as if Milton is still the starter. So you have a quarterback who played better, clearly played better, in my opinion. But we're gonna maybe go back to Milton. What did you think of his comments today? I mean, he he
1: left it a little open ended. He did. He did. Just, he because, did. Of Mil- just because of Milton's injury, uh. But it, yeah. I mean, you you look at that game. If you watch that game, Hooker, Hooker is the guy. I mean, he has to be. I, I, I don't, don't know. see how you
0: walk away with any other conclusion. Personally, I,
1: it might just be him not wanting to give anything away. And how quick do you want to pull the hook on the guy? You know, how how quick do you want to? sit him down after he you know Milton has played one full game as Tennessee's quarterback and Tennessee won that game so what kind of message do you send if it's well you got hurt we still lost the game but we're you know we're going to go to this guy anyway which probably probably is the right decision but also what message does it send to the team so he might want to be a little careful about how he's handling that maybe that's what he's doing
0: maybe i was trying to find exactly what he said uh we'll have to get Well it he up. said
1: that uh that there's a lot of factors that will go into to who is going to take the first snaps against Tennessee Ted said we'll find out where Milton's at during the week but he was specifically asked if Milton's healthy is he the starter and he just kind of dodged it didn't really give any indication on what he wanted to do which is probably just him being coy he's not going to
0: give it away I mean, if, if I'm him, I think with this upcoming game, um, obviously snoozer against, uh, t- Tennessee, tech. T- Tennessee tech. I think of Tennessee state. It's not Tennessee state. It's Tennessee tech. Um, but you play all three. That's what I would do. That's if Milton is healthy or you sit Milton, because he's still injured and leave that mystery open to Florida and whatever, let them think whatever they want to think. Uh, uh, but I, I say you at least play multiple quarterbacks in this game, test all waters, I think, to a certain extent, placate Harrison Bailey so he does not hop town mm-hmm. and get out, because uh, I, I think that was a discussion that myself and Jonathan Crompton had during the postgame show, is when does Harrison Bailey say, peace, I'll go find my playing time somewhere else, because you're you're getting close, isn't it a four game? Uh, where where you can still transfer without penalty after four games or something or other. Or, well, no, he would still have the ability to do a transfer without penalty, right? Yeah, I think so. He, yeah, he's not a transfer or anything. No. So, yeah, he would have, he still has his one transfer without penalty. And so, uh, just a and consideration the wor- there.
1: <laughs> the worst comment I've seen on social media is, and I've seen it multiple times in the Bailey conversation, because I think Bailey should play against Tennessee Tech just because I want to see him in this offense, I think yeah we have same. to see that just to just to figure out what he is. But some of the comments I've seen are maybe they're redshirting him and saving him. That's a hundred percent not what's happening. Heupel's going to play <laughs> who he thinks is the best quarterback or who he thinks is going to lead the team to wins. You're not saving quarterbacks. The days of saving quarterbacks are over, unless you happen to be Alabama or Clemson, and even then, it's not a guarantee. Because guys want to start as true freshmen, though. They, and, and they're not... If they're what they're supposed to be, they're going up for three years no matter what. So if you redshirt them and they're great for two years, they're going to be like Jameis Winston and they're going to be out of there uh, when they're a redshirt sophomore. So the redshirt, I don't buy that. You, you don't see a ton of redshirt seniors at the same program that they started with that are first-round NFL draft picks. It just doesn't happen.
0: Yeah. I, that whole landscape has changed. That's not... I, maybe, maybe that's the case, but I would say, I would not count on that. Um, I mean, you haven't heard about Bailey being discontent, I would say. Sometimes that information tends to leak out, where it's sort of like, and, and specifically, I think you could hear it leak out from his camp or whatever, and you see it on a message board or something to try and put a little pressure on the coaching staff. Uh, to get the kid in the game, and you haven't heard anything like that. I, who knows exactly what's going on there, but I would say at least placate him a little bit and let this kid in this game. You're going to win by forty, and just <laughs> give him something. Well, it's I say that Florida State lost to Jacksonville State over the <laughs> over the weekend. Let's don't don't get too comfortable. Yeah, but you should win by forty. I would put it that way, Um and. You, you you gotta just do something, but I I just question so far this this status with Heupel. He comes in. He's quarterback whisper. Quarterback whisper. Quarterback whisper. Good. What what should I consider the evidence of that that I've seen so far? Cause I've seen a good scheme, but have I seen a great quarterback? No, I've seen a quarterback that works in the scheme, but I have not seen a great quarterback. Like Hooker, it's not a great quarterback, but he was making it work. Like he had some some janky throws out there. Let's still be honest. And then Milton was way off the mark. I mean, he was even worse. And then apparently Harrison Bailey is worse than both of them. So. Where is this quarterback whisper element going to come in? Because what I want to see is a great system mixed with a great quarterback. And obviously, that's a lot to ask for in year one. I know, I know, I know. But at what point do we start asking for it is sort of what I would say. Yeah,
1: it's a totally fair question because we've seen quarterbacks that Heupel has coached before. uh, Drew Locke, Dylan Gabriel. Uh, both that have kind of made comments about how they didn't really feel prepared for the next level after playing in this offense because it's so simple it's not really what you do in the NFL and it kind of reminds you of maybe Mike Leach when he was at Texas Tech with some of those quarterbacks I mean look at the numbers that what Graham Harrell put up there I mean those were insane numbers and he barely hung on in the NFL as a backup with the, the Green Bay Packers for a little bit and had a lot of high-scoring offenses, and it's rare that somebody would come out of that system and excel. I mean, somebody like Patrick Mahomes is just a anomaly. I mean, he was going to be good no matter where he ended up. It had nothing to do with the scheme or the system. None of that. He's just a natural talent. So I'm not going to say that Hypo can't develop quarterbacks, but is it the scheme that that does this? Because we haven't seen anything from Milton or Hooker, I mean, that to suggest that he's – that they've grown from where they were before. Milton has the same issues he did at Michigan, and I imagine this is probably about what Hooker looked like at Virginia Tech. The only really real way to answer this question would be if Jarrett Garantano was still on the roster. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, bring him back. What do you think bring would have? Would back.
1: The would Tennessee have beat Pittsburgh with JG? Would the outcome have been different? Heck that is a no, tough dude. question to pose. <laughs>
0: Jarrett, uh, I guess his wasn't it didn't he get hurt in that first yeah, game? Yeah, in the first game, State? yeah. Yeah, so we don't know exactly what he looked like or will look like at another school with another coach. But I, I, I do think that's a fair question. It's it is what I said, it's what you said. I, I'm in total agreement with you. Is it just a scheme? that's really simple and really effective making quarterback look good. Or is Josh Hypel actually quarterback whisper? I have that question so far. I just do. I hope we find out it's both. That would be absolutely ideal. And it's still too early to know. Um, so that's also good. We'll see how it pans out. But I, I just think it's a fair question. So yeah, far, I mean, what I've seen is good, good scheme, bad quarterback. So,
1: right. And, and you don't feel like somebody's going to come out of this scheme and be Joe Burrow. No, you know, Joe Burrow, Yesterday, the Bengals beat the Vikings, and they picked up a key fourth-down uh, conversion in overtime. And after the game, uh, the Bengals' head coach, Zach Taylor, said Burrow had two plays to choose from at the line. He got to call it based on what he saw. I mean, that, you're trusting a guy that's played less than a full season to do that Just he played under Joe Brady that kind of prepared him. I, I don't see that happening under Heupel just because the system doesn't let quarterbacks do that. So... You know, that's a big part of quarterback development is you're running the offense, you're making the protections and the calls and all that, and it just doesn't seem like that happens under Heupel like it does in some other programs.
0: I do think we have seen Heupel's offense with a great quarterback, though you can decide how much he had to do with the development of this quarterback because as you mentioned, this quarterback has come out and said, I'm not sure he did the best job preparing me for the NFL that he possibly could have, but Drew Locke, you you saw it with Drew Locke, and, and I think anybody that watches a ton of college football knows exactly what I'm talking about when I say this. When you see an NFL quarterback, like a future NFL quarterback playing at the college level, you know it. You know yeah. it when you see it. Because those guys, it's Joe Burrow. It's Drew Locke at that time. They make throws that a, most college quarterbacks cannot. You just go, oh, that's an NFL throw. Yep. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. guy's going to play in the pros. He's he is good. He is very, very good. And it's just another level like Drew Locke. He hasn't panned out in the pros, but he had that when he played at the college level. You just looked at some of the throws he was making and he, of course, he destroyed Tennessee in his final year of Missouri. Um, and just in that game, you just went, hmm, this guy is way better than a lot of quarterbacks at the college level. And so you have seen that and it was very successful. Very, very successful. That Missouri offense cooked, uh, and and was very good, and and it got him that job at UCF th- that same mm-hmm. offseason afterwards. So, uh, you have seen it, and that would be great. I want to pair the two together, um, but that is is yet to be seen here here at Tennessee. And just uh, don't want to be too critical. It's game two. I'm not gonna make any assumptions yet. But let's. I let's, think this. Let's go ahead and get the, the quarterback whispering going. Yeah. Let's let's get that get, get that happening.
1: Even even if the quarterback stuff does you know turn out to be how it has in the past for Hypo at UCF and Missouri, I still think we're looking based on the first two games. I think we're looking at a eight and four, nine and three, maybe if a good schedule it's favorable, everything goes just right a ten and two season like that's kind of what. The ceiling, I think, for Heupel is at Tennessee. I I don't think this offense, paired with this defense, just the way that it operates and tons of possessions, I don't think it's going to win an SEC championship. I just don't. I think it can get it back to the point where the program's respectable and somebody else comes in that can run it. It's just hard for me to imagine this. I feel the same way about Mississippi State. I kind of feel the same way about Ole Miss, too, with Lane Kiffin. I I don't see them – beating alabama or lsu well maybe lsu they're kind of falling away now and maybe it's just alabama because Texas AM doesn't seem to want it either (laughs) but uh i feel the same way about them in in the west i do in the east kind of with georgia if georgia's recruiting at that level even though kirby smart's not the best game manager in game manager at all it's hard to see this offense beating that defense
0: I I completely agree. What I would be very interested to see if Heppel was able to do it, and this is an extremely tall task for any coach at all that's not named Saban. Is I want to see his system mixed with like Saban's players. Mm -hmm. Like I would love to see how that goes. Cause you just kind of
1: Oklahoma, right? In In a a way, way, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Where you, you have just that fun and gun or whatever you want to say the Lincoln-Riley runs over there. Um, High-flying offenses, the talking heads would like to call it. Um, and then you just see it with totally elite players. I think that would be very interesting to see yeah. in, in the SEC. Tennessee has the ability and has in the past gotten a ton of elite players. All of that has gone down the drain in the last few years and you are working with a thin shell of what it could be. And I would love to see that happen a lot has to happen to get there um but you do just in college ball I mean look look at Nick Saban you can essentially if you just fill the roster with six star kids you can trot almost anything out there and you're gonna win a bunch of football games Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you just like how many great quarterbacks has Nick Saban had been uh, until none. the
1: last few years really yeah. none at
0: all I mean I, I guess you you are finally seeing it looks like and I would you even consider this his quarterback quote unquote but Jalen hurts now he had a, a decent couple of games. He's a starter, and part of that, part <laughs> yeah, of that, no. you know. But otherwise, I mean, has, has he had any good quarterback yeah. at Alabama? Truly good quarterback at Alabama? Like, not yeah, really. I mean,
1: Brody Croyle was uh, a career backup at best. I mean, yeah,
0: John but, David Booty was that. No, that might have been before. I and I it don't... really,
1: even with <laughs> Jalen Hurts, maybe, maybe it's more of the system that the Eagles and some of these teams are starting to run a, a system that's a little more like what you see in college. So it's just they're better fits for the system it's not necessarily because they were coached by nick saban i don't think
0: sorry not john who am i thinking of not john david booty he played at usc yeah uh Uh, it's uh the three he had three names uh who was the guy i'm totally
1: blinking i know who you're
0: talking about yeah it's it's i feel like it was still john david i don't know um like we should it's not like we talk about College sports is a whole thing, you know. We should like <laughs> we should, maybe should know. Uh, I don't. Yeah,
1: try not to dwell on Alabama and their. I know. Ridiculous
0: success. <laughs> AJ
1: McCarron. Are you thinking about AJ McCarron?
0: No, it was. uh I right, dude. I'll have to. I'll have to cut this out. Probably. I want to know now. I'm gonna look. Uh, who was there? Greg when he McElroy? when Saban showed up uh dude John Parker Wilson I just saw it as John Parker Wilson I I might leave that in now yeah John Parker you were Wilson. so
1: right though you had it
0: <laughs> I knew it not John David Booty John something um but let's point <laughs> rolling all of that back you you can do it with great player that's the whole thing it, at the end of the day in college ball it is the Jimmys and Joes. Your system can be amazing, and it can dictate how much you beat teams by where Saban comes in and just crushes your soul. And then
1: he's mad because his team <laughs> didn't go hard in the fourth quarter. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> what a luxury that must be. Uh, I mean, it can dictate that much, but at the end of the day, you put great players on the field, you're going to have great results. It just is what it is. And so I maybe... Hypo can make that happen. He has great recruiters on this staff, Rodney Garner and such. Um, and so maybe that can happen. But I think to make that happen, you got to do what you're saying, Zach, and get to that eight, nine win point. And I think that's absolutely possible. That's absolutely possible. You got to win games like this pit game for sure. You cannot, I mean, in the future, this has to be a win. And what is next year is like, Is next year the Oklahoma? I think that might be twenty twenty four
1: or twenty twenty. Yeah, maybe it's
0: a little further Um, off.
1: I can't remember. But But yeah, I would just scheduling games like that for a while.
0: (sighs) Yeah, just give yourself a break. I didn't like
1: it last year, and was kind of fortunate that it got canceled. Uh, Next (laughs) year is Ball State Pitt again at Pitt Army and UT Martin. You got by at BYU in twenty twenty three, and it's. Oklahoma in 2024.
0: Well, either way, let's cancel that Oklahoma game and buy your way out of it. Um, and yeah. you because you just like those have to be wins, and then you get that recruiting train rolling and see where you can go from there. Because I do absolutely agree with you with this system, it is hard to think. I mean, you just don't see a national championship team using the system that he does. And maybe he could be the first and whatever else. Maybe he can be the outlier. You know, everybody doubles when he did it. Blah, 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 blah. It's like a one in a million thing. We got to be completely realistic when we talk about this, I think. And just right off the bat, I I thought that when they hired him, it just isn't not mm-hmm. uh, It isn't an SEC system. It just isn't. It's a UCF system. And now, well, UCF is is Power Five now. They are. Like, oh, hey, yeah. they're big Big Twelve. UCF, congratulations.
1: I'm gonna have to go <laughs> replay the 2017 playoff now with UCF. Yes, it.
0: go back. They could have been the national championships champions that year. <laughs> but it, yeah, I I'm absolutely with you. And so, and I'm sure we're gonna get crap that we're being negative in game two. It's give give all a chance. I'm happy to give Hypol a chance. Prove everything that I'm saying wrong. That would be amazing. I'm just, this is the assessment that I have to give. And I feel like in no way would we be alone w- f- with other people who talk about college sports. I think this is, and if you are realistic with yourself, I think most people would agree with us. So that's the the situation Tennessee finds itself in as always. I feel like I say that so, so much. They
1: find themselves in some situations. There's no doubt.
0: You, there, There is so much of that, of putting that little asterisk on everything now where you just go, well, you're, if your quarterback gets injured and the backup gets injured, you don't have a quarterback. That's a situation Tennessee finds himself in. I guess that's currently not, but if Harrison Bailey transferred that would be you know and you just well the defensive line is then that's the situation that he finds himself in way to go the thing but- with Harrison Bailey I had somebody ask me on
1: Twitter why would Josh Heupel try to please him I said, well because he can leave whenever he wants now they're mm-hmm. the recruiting now it never stops you're recruiting guys pretty much every single day to stay on campus and that's it's gotta be I can I'm starting to more and more understand. I, I've always been for the one-time transfer. I'm still for it. Go transfer, play immediately somewhere. But I think they they there needs to be. I think we've talked about this before, like a signing day type deal with the transfers where it happens after the season. It's just once you start the season, maybe you got to finish or you. I don't know. There needs to be something that makes it just a little easier for the coaches to manage their team because you. If you don't think Harrison Bailey the guy, but you want to put him in a game just to keep him from transferring, that's not giving your team the best chance to win. You're coaching them based on keeping your roster together instead of coaching to win, and, and I'm not a fan of that. So th- there's got to be a way to balance the two, I think.
0: The, and that really is just as yet to be seen because it's all just so fresh. I mean, all mm-hmm. of these changes have rolled in in the last couple of years, really almost just the last year, period. And it's just a ton of adapting. It was actually interesting. I, I listened to Pat Narduzzi, uh, an interview he did in local, well, I guess it was Nashville radio last week. And they asked him, like, what is it like being a coach with all of these changes going on? And he did essentially say, like, it's very frustrating. Like, you just constantly, you you got into this profession with one set of assumptions, and they're all literally getting turned on their head. All of a sudden, it's a different landscape for coaches now. And some are going to adapt and be really, really effective. And some, it's going to be a real problem for them. And hopefully, Heupel, being a younger, energetic guy who can who can adapt, hopefully that helps. Narduzzi was very cynical. And in fact, he even, uh, it was pretty funny. He was an SEC truther. They they asked him about the, uh, the expansion of the playoff, too. And he said, you know, I don't, something along the lines of, like, I don't appreciate the that uh, you know, one conference was going out and and having those talks without any of the other conferences involved, and was like dropping little shade at the SEC. Yeah, just don't don't hate us because you ain't us. That's yeah. It. Like you wouldn't jump at a job in the SEC. Yeah,
1: I mean he would leave Pittsburgh for almost anywhere but Vandy or probably that's the
0: only one I bet. Yeah, because they're they're all better. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, when when you look at that. Like there is a reason that Texas is begging to be in the SEC. It is a very good should
1: reason. they after the Arkansas game?
0: Ooh, I love. I follow a couple of like Texas-based accounts, and literally Texas fans. They were like, mm, "We're rethinking this whole SEC thing." Because I mean, that's not.
1: I mean, that's the bottom of the SEC. Right? Exactly. I mean, Sam Pittman's <laughs> done a good job at Arkansas, but it's still they went, like retallend. five and seven
0: last year. <laughs> yeah,
1: and that wasn't even really a game. I mean that was But
0: but I think you you do really see. This is very anecdotal and kind of probably correlation over causation. But I think you really see like Pitt this season. I would bet absolutely competes for their division uh title. Like I would bet they're going to be at the top of their division in the ACC. They do he does beat Clemson every now and then. Yeah, I mean they they're, they're going to be it, <laughs> That is an upper echelon team in the ACC. It, they are, yeah. They and they, can, uh... can he pick, Kenny Pickett is very good. He's going. Mm-hmm. He, that is. I, I said this to Crompton on on Saturday. I think that might be one of the best quarterbacks you see all season, if not like top top three for sure. For I sure. would guess he played really well, and Tennessee still almost beat him. And Tennessee yeah. right now is a legitimate bottom fear in the SEC. So you have a bottom fear in the SEC getting close to beating what will probably be someone who's competing for a division title in the ACC. Like that's the difference not to hawk on the SEC too much. Tennessee stinks. Let's be totally honest. The we're not playing good football and for good reason, the program has been destroyed, but that's, I I don't know. We're we're getting way off the point (laughs) from talking about this game. Really? But it is it's it's an interesting conversation when you talk about like a coach taking shots at the SEC from the outside. Come on now, bottom like bottom feeders are beating Texas. Bottom feeders are almost beating Pittsburgh. You know, come on. Yeah, I mean that's going to keep happening because you know the SEC
1: is the that's what the money maker. That's what everybody wants to see. And if you're not if you're outside that circle, you're going to take shots at it to try to keep your own conference in in the news and kind of in in the spotlight and it's the only choice they really have I, I get it i understand it but joining the sec is probably not the right move nah
0: well let's let's do cover this because we're, we're already coming up on like four 40 minutes other we covered all of the qb everything so far um be very interested to see who hypo chooses to be the qb for this coming game that's um, and really, for the next game for Florida, but that'll be a discussion for next week. Um, but other positives, what did you see? Not not to talk everything in into the ground negatively. What did you see positively? And we'll start there, and then go into other negatives we saw afterwards.
1: I mean, I felt like the defense played well, uh, especially at times the defensive line without Byron Young, who is supposed to be back this week. I think Heiple said he had to sit out two be eligible. games. Yeah, he had to set out those two games, which is silly because it was like a, not even a real program he was at or something random. I'm not sure. But I thought that looked pretty good. I like the intensity that the defense played with. I thought they they looked like they knew what they were doing. They looked better coached than they did under Pruitt. I think Pruitt was just trying to put so much on them so quick I mean, just Pruitt knows defense. So there's no doubt. He's... He's been a good defensive coordinator, but he he thought he was dealing with Georgia and Alabama, and he was dealing with Tennessee. I mean, you can't you can't go in and put that system in that he did it at Florida State and Alabama and Georgia. So Tim Banks, he wants the players to do less thinking and just react, and it seemed like they were able to do that. Uh, Jeremy Banks, he still got to calm down. Uh, he's fast. <laughs> he's probably the most talented guy on that defense as far as just physical ability. And I love the intensity he plays with. I do. I think it's infectious, but he has to tone it down as he's going to kill his team with penalties. I mean, that's still frustrating. I Uh,
0: I saw some people commenting on banks and they were like, stop, stop criticizing him. He brings like so much energy and, and he's clearly, he's so talented. Like we just need to be encouraging in this um, You can probably tell from the sound of that. It was on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, No, no, you don't. Like, he is extremely talented, and that's why you criticize him. Because if you can hone that in, the dude is, it's all there for him physically. If you can get his head in the game and have him stop making these impulsive decisions that hurt the team, he's all over the field. Yeah,
1: the uh, uh, WWE moves out on the field or not. It's all fun and games till a, it's a third and six stop or something. And, and you keeps a key drive going because of a dumb penalty.
0: Was that, I need to go back and rewatch the game in its entirety. Was that on a third down? Did it? I'm not the sure.
1: Drive? I can't remember if it did or not.
0: I don't remember off the top, but just, I know
1: the, ESPN's announcers were just incensed about it. They couldn't, they couldn't <laughs> believe it.
0: How could you ever do that? Oh yeah. Uh, but it—that sort of stuff can be catastrophic, and he's got to stop doing it. Cade Mays, I like to a certain extent that he's going after somebody for for messing with his dude. That's that speaks to the cohesiveness of the team right now, and that's nice. But that's stupid. It's stupid. Don't do it. That was a real. That was a Taylor Lawan move. <laughs> oh my uh, god. And don't get me started on the tides right now, but how many times has just real quick how many
1: times has Luan taken blame for playing bad and said he's got to get better at this point? It feels Dude. like he does it
0: once a year at least. Yes, where he just gets absolutely blown up and then he goes, I play really bad, I'll do better, guys. <laughs> I'll do better. Well, stop podcasting all the time. Getting out that, you got you're getting that bar stool money and you're getting all comfortable. How about you go practice some football, Taylor?
1: Uh, he got his extension. He's good.
0: Yeah. Oh, he's good. He is good. That's but, for sure. He, he took that money and sat on the couch all last season with a knee injury. Congratulations mm-hmm. to him. Of as guaranteed far as money,
1: as far as the other thing I thought that was great was the tight ends, man. Nine catches. a yes. uh, Tight yes. ends. Great I mean, one. That has to be the first time since, I don't know the Derek Dooley days when Michael Rivera was there. I mean, maybe it happened under Butch, but it certainly didn't happen under Jeremy Pruitt.
0: Yeah. I mean, who, who was the last really solid tight end Tennessee had who, who legitimately made a difference. I mean, even Ethan, Ethan Wolf had some games mm-hmm. with Butch, um, but it just, it's been, it, it feels like at least it has been a long while. Yeah. Since I think I've Michael Rivera Tennessee
1: was and... really the last one that, that yeah. made an impact. Maybe some time in the NFL, but you you thought Dominic Wood Anderson was going to be that job at Pruitt. Just never used it. It was amazing how he did not.
0: That was such a waste. And now I think you have two guys on this roster that I look at and I don't see anything extraordinary. I don't look at either of those guys and go like, Oh, I'm sure he's going to be great. And they both made super impactful plays Mm -hmm. and amazing. Like not only do you have, Guys that it seemed like I mean the, the offensive line stood up well enough. I, I mm-hmm. would put it that way. Was it great all day long?
1: And no. you had your center out that you know that's true. Pretty, pretty pretty big loss there. Yeah,
0: you start starting center is out and you have all of that coming together, and they still played decently well. And now you have this element where the tight ends look effective. Uh and that's that's great. That was an amazing development and something that I was super happy about. Great positive there. Totally agree on the defense. Um, I think if you can bring that if you can bring these things into games down the road, bring that same defensive effort. And I think it will give you an opportunity to win games, bring that same offensive effort and cut out the self-inflicted wounds. And if, if you do just that, I think you beat Missouri. I think you beat. But you definitely beat Vandy. I think you beat South Carolina pretty easily. South Carolina did not look good over the weekend. They almost lost to East Carolina. Uh, And you probably are 50-50 with Kentucky. 50-50, well, it might be more like 60-40 for Ole Miss. But you're competitive against Ole Miss. You're probably competitive against Florida. Like, if you can just cut out those mistakes, bring that defensive effort, continue with this well-schemed, simplified offense... I think the opportunities are going to be there for you to win this season. Like, super disappointed with this loss because it should have been a win. But moving forward, I think you are going to give yourself a chance to win if you can cut some of this crap out. I mean, I had them at
1: 6-6 and before the season with the loss to Pittsburgh. So I still view them as a bowl-eligible team. And I have them with the loss to Missouri, loss to Ole Miss, um, games that... Could be winnable. I'm like you. I'm not so sure about the Ole Miss, but the Missouri game? Yeah, I mean, Jeremy Pruitt beat them last year, so while I think Missouri's offense picked up and, and showed some stuff down the stretch, Tennessee should be able to match up, and maybe by then, Hypo's kind of ironed out some of these discipline details as far as the penalties. was it 13 penalties. I mean, you can't, you can't win a game when you have 13 penalties, but a lot of them were pre-snap, post-snap penalties, so should be easy to clean up it wasn't you know like technique type stuff that they're dealing with there for the most part i mean i I, I still think they're on pace for what i expected this year
0: yeah six and six still feels without a doubt the most likely outcome you have four built-in wins already when you include vandy and then just some some duo of missouri kentucky uh south carolina and i think South Carolina looks like they stink. That's you're probably going to be favored in that game. Win the games that you're supposed to. And so then you just have to get one more and hey, go ahead and and make up for this loss at Florida. I'm oh just, yeah, it's made up a lot. <laughs> it's it's that easy. Just go win at Florida. It's I'm not asking a lot. Just go win at a place where you haven't won in like 15 years. That's no no biggie. Longer than that. Has when was the last time? one? one? Was it three? Oh three. Maybe? Yeah, it would have been oh three. Um because you wanted back-to-back years. Hmm. Yeah. Um right. Am I remembering that correctly. Either way. Uh, I know
1: 4 was it in Knoxville. I know that, because the field goal.
0: Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Cause um I was at that game. Um but anywho, there the opportunities are going to be there, and now we we can cover just any other stuff that maybe you saw that needed improvement, and then we'll move on to just finishing with this little game prediction.
1: Yeah, well, clearly the running the running game still they gotta get that going. I know Tyon Evans was out, so that didn't help matters, but, but Jalen Wright averaged one point four yards per carry. Jabari small, 2.3 yards per carry. I mean, that's not very... It's not what you want your running backs to be at. So, hopefully they can figure that out. And maybe that's just what Pittsburgh was doing. I mean, Pittsburgh has a pretty strong, you know, defensive line, defensive tackles as far as the run game goes. But you would like to see a little more production from there.
0: For sure. And, And there was... I guess you could really take this as an encouraging element. As of the first quarter, you're... I guess your second best wide receiver was out behind mm-hmm. Bayless. Jalen Jalen Hyatt went down. Your your second best uh, kind of one <laughs> one A one B running back was out, and you your starting center was out. We already said that, and you still almost won this game, or or had it tied late in the game. And so, hey, that is encouraging. Now, this is my biggest negative element that I walked away from this game with, and we have to talk about it. This fourth down call on fourth and one, you're down by seven. You're at the whatever with inside the 10 yard line, right there on the doorstep. Now we all know, let's get it out of the way. Yeah. Hooker got the first down he got the first down oh,
1: for sure. Yeah. With
0: without a doubt. I mean, you can go back and look, there's a still photo of him. He's so clearly,
1: I was surprised when they were measuring it first.
0: Yes. I, and, and the fact that Heupel didn't, I, this is a whole other element in this whole thing. You got, you got to come after that. I And because yeah. clearly was protected
1: the timeouts, but that getting that first down there is way more important. And I'm sure if it exactly. would have been fourth down, he would have challenged, but, you, there's no guarantees on fourth down, which we saw.
0: Yeah. And so the, the spot was garbage from the beginning. It should have just been a first down. You should have scored the touchdown there, tied the game, blah, blah, blah. But you didn't. And that play call, that play call on fourth and inches, it was not fourth and one. It was way less than one. <sighs> that was Butch Jones stuff. We yeah, got to say it.
1: It was all high play call too. I mean, he pretty much said after the game that hooker didn't really have any
0: options on that play. I mean, that's what the play call was. Yeah. Go just, I'll give, if any credit goes to Jeremy Pruitt in those situations, he just called a QB sneak, just Mm -hmm. fall forward. And you could generally speaking, you got it almost all of the time.
1: And if he didn't call it, Jarrett Garantano would call it for himself.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. I mean, come on. Don't overthink this. That was so it made me sick because it was. It was just flashbacks to Bush. This was. It was exactly what Bush used to do. Exactly. Oh, yeah. He's trying to get cute. Oh, I'm gonna outsmart him with a shotgun on fourth and inches. No, just fall forward. Just fall forward. Give it to the quarterback. Fall forward. You don't have to overthink it. I, I, it was ugh, ugh, That was so so disappointing because you just knew that was the game. That was the oh, yeah, game yeah. at that point. You because you were only going to tie with a touchdown there. You weren't taking the lead or anything. You were only going to tie, and the game was probably going to go into overtime, and you could fight it out there. I think your chances are pretty decent at home. You know, in a, in an overtime game, I guess you could have gone for two. I would have liked to see that. And Mike Vrabel would. Oh, heck yeah, he would. (laughs) Woody, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, it's rough. That was really bad. And he deserves to get absolutely roasted for that. Um, For for maybe you could start with not fighting for the spot and putting his time out on the line because I don't see how you don't get that. And then second, that play call was just atrocious. College football, the clock stops constantly as it
1: is i know timeouts are valuable but it's not the nfl you can stop the clock if you need to i mean it took forever to play that game as it was oh it was so long every college game is now it's it's ridiculous how long college football games are getting Uh, and they talk about the pace of play in baseball and how long those games take and i get it you don't want a baseball game shouldn't take four hours but neither should a college football game
0: yeah it's getting pretty egregious at this point uh, but I guess that's an entire other conversation. Yeah, but that's just to me. You could, you just you have to bring that up. It was really bad, and it you could absolutely make the argument that that cost you the game. You weren't going to take the lead, sure, and you could say, "Oh well, you might have just gone and lost it in overtime." Still, <sighs> fine. That's a fine argument to make, but you you can at least say this definitively you did not give yourself the best chance to win. You just didn't. It was a horrible play call, and it was overthinking it, and it was just trying to do too much. Yeah, don't. I, I hate when you're thinking to play
1: ahead on something like that, which is what I think he's doing there at the spot, trying to save his time out, mm-hmm. and he's thinking about what he can run on fourth down. I mean, Maybe it works at UCF. In the SEC, those fourth down, I mean, I know this is Pittsburgh that you're playing, but it's a power five opponent. It's a big-time play, and yeah you know defenses make plays in the power five I mean that's how that's how you win games that's how Tennessee beat Kentucky a couple years ago that's what yeah. you got to step up in that moment and Pittsburgh stepped up more than Tennessee
0: it it really reminded me of stopping What's let's see his name Lynn Bowden or whoever yeah t- against Kentucky in Pruitt's second year where he just th- was I think it was the same thing wasn't that was run out of shotgun that Kentucky I think so. it was yeah it wasn't a great play call don't overthink it go under center Mark Stoops and Josh Heupel don't overthink it it's not hard I, that uh, man had to touch on that is what it is and we we can go from here don't do it again I would say please learn from that and don't do that again whoever called that play Goalish Heupel I gotta assume it's Heupel right Yeah, I mean, that's that's such a pivotal point in the game, but there is that now let's move forward to predictions and start out here. (laughs) Zach, go to a gas station and buy a lottery ticket, my friend, because you not only did you were you the closest to the score prediction last week for Pitt. You literally got it exactly right on both scores for Tennessee and Pittsburgh. What genuinely, what are the chances of that? Because this was a weird score. This wasn't like 42-35 where it was just all touchdowns and nice and clean. There were field goals and weirdness. You nailed it on the head. 41-34. I mean, I feel like I probably
1: used all the luck that I have <laughs> on this worthless store prediction that means nothing. Instead of a lottery ticket, I've used the luck on this. So I guess I'll bask in it for what it's worth, which is not much.
0: I felt like it, it's always strange when something like that happens because it's, it's the thing that always keeps you coming back to that type of stuff. Like it's, a couple of months ago, I was in, I'm a big whiskey guy and I was in like a lottery for a whiskey, and I won, and it just is like, what are even that? Ch- it was hundreds of people, and I just I won the thing, and I was like, what are the chances of that? And then since then, of course, I I'm paying money to even enter these things. And no. I haven't <laughs> won once, you know, but you, it's what keeps you coming back. That one I got that one time, I got it right, man. No, and that's, that's like it's like <laughs> golf and gambling, I guess. It really, yeah, golf. On that, that one shot on the par three where you hit it within five feet. I that, mm-hmm. I, mean, I can do it again. I know I can. <laughs> You're not going to do it again. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but incredible nonetheless. Who knows what the chances are of that happening But you hit it literally right on the head. I was wrong. I said Tennessee was going to squeak it out. I said, I think I said, what, 38, 35? Yep. Something like that. And Which the uh, store,
1: I mean, you know, the stores are still both in that same range. The same,
0: like, total points stored. They're right there. I do, I do like that our, sort of our preseason prediction, I think it was most people's preseason prediction, um, for the way Hyples games were going to go is essentially coming to fruition. It was a shootout and it was, it was exactly what we were saying. You may lose, but it's going to be more fun along the way because Uh you're, you're not watching this painful grinding offense that can't do anything. Uh, you, you saw some really good plays and, and some excitement and you still lost, but that is the nature of the game that Hypo plays. So there is that. And now our predictions. Tennessee Tech, not exactly a world stopper. Do you know uh, what was the status of their last game this past week?
1: So Furman beat Tennessee Tech 26 to nothing this past Saturday. Uh, zero points there for Tennessee Tech. And then in the season opener on September 2nd, Tennessee Tech lost 52 to 14 to Samford. So against two not great opponents, they've scored two touchdowns this season.
0: And with that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that should make things a little easier. I think I will predict a win in this one. This is one of those where you just it's all about how many points will Tennessee put up? This is an interesting conversation because you don't really know who is going to be quarterback. How long will Hypo keep them in before you he- keep You pull and go to the next guy if everything goes as planned and you get to do that. Um, Does he, if you're smashing him, do you let up in the third quarter maybe, Nick Saban style? Uh, So um, I'll say on this one, definitely a win. This one, okay. So the offense hits its stride a little bit more in this one. And I'll say... 56 to 10. No, uh, 56 to 7. Okay. 49 point win. Pretty, you know what?
1: I have the margin of victory the same, okay. but the score's a little different. I have uh, Tennessee winning as well. I'm going to go out there with that. And 52 to 3 is what I'm going with here. Nice. So pretty similar.
0: So both 49 point wins, I would assume. I don't know what the betting line is, but I would assume that those are both covering. Um, and so there you go. Don't listen to us. What do we know? Except Zach does know. If it, if it happens again, the then that Florida score is gonna be really hard uh, <laughs> to predict. <laughs> gonna be looking at you like Nostradamus. Ooh, a lot of pressure. Does we could really have this conversation now about like our prediction for the Florida game, probably. But does anything happen in this game that would change your mind on the Florida game, you think?
1: Only for the negative. Only if Tennessee wins like 17 to 3. That's probably about the only thing. Then it would be a worse prediction.
0: I would say I, I'll say this. If Hooker really plays yeah. well, if he's the quarterback and he really plays well.
1: If he's hitting guys in stride. Mm hmm.
0: Okay. Because you, I mean, you could tell against Bowling Green that Milton wasn't translating too well. Mm-hmm. And so you could probably tell in this game if, if he's really getting in rhythm with that offense, that would be cool. That would be really, really good and encouraging going into that Florida game. But I, I can already tell you, because this is always my philosophy, I probably said it last year, probably said it for years on the radio. Uh, also, Florida's a loss until it's not. So you know what I'm going to predict. <laughs> But I'll give you my exact numbers next week. I think that's it. Any any parting thoughts before we go, Zach, that you wanted to drop in? No, nah, just hopefully
1: this is a quiet week for Tennessee. No injuries. No more players ineligible randomly. Like, I don't know if you saw what happened with LSU today. Their running back, John Emery, is suddenly, like, ineligible for the year because of a academic issue. So maybe, is that- maybe all the bad luck's going towards Baton Rouge with the way yeah. they're kind
0: of... Turn it out down there with Ed Osier on. They can have it. S- send it down there. No bad weather or anything, but just, you know, yeah. bad juju for your football team. Mm-hmm. That's all. All right. That's it. My doorbell just rang. I got to go answer it. <laughs> I'm Charlie Burris. That's Zach Reagan. Thank you so much for listening. To A to Z Sports, A to Z uh, at at A to Z sports at Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT, A to Z sports podcast network feed rate, review, subscribe, blah, blah, blah. Thank you so, so, so much for listening and listen, uh, on game day. Myself, Jonathan Crompton, uh, big orange game day show. We, we air at halftime. We air post game. Um, and you can hear Crompton's analysis, which to me is, has genuinely been been fascinating so far because he brings a former player's perspective. It's really great stuff. Um, and I think that's going to be it thanks again for tuning in and we'll talk to y'all next week see you guys later